This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Coo Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grow New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and close to us, sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Meryl Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside bard. Welcome to episode 214 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, it is Queen Maeve of Connacht versus the forces of Mayo. This is the tale of Phyllis and the Mayo Thorn. But before we get down to that, a very big warm welcome to all of you, any new or returning listeners. If you're a new listener, this is actually a really nice sample episode. This is very traditional fireside stock, what we're doing here. If you enjoy this, why not head right back through the ranks and the years, um, all the way back to episode one and see what we've been building up to over the journey of fireside thus far and if you're a returning listener as always thank you so much for your continued support all of the usual ways you can support the podcast you can follow me over on instagram at fireside bar that's the best place to message me or get in touch with any queries questions or just to say hello if you're not on social media you can contact me at the fireside bard at gmail.com uh, i love hearing from each and every one of you whatever the platform is if you want to support me directly, you can buy my book, Garden Sea, A Neo Myth of Home, my poetry collection, which is available in paperback from the Headstuff website or in Kindle version from Amazon. All of the links are in the description below. And of course, you can support the podcast directly by by subscribing to Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com, where for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you want, you can gain access to bonus material, not just for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network, the ever-growing Headstuff Podcast Network. Those are the hard sells out of the way. Bit of housekeeping before we kick off. Um, This... There has been, um, as I've talked a little bit, there has been a bit of disarray with Farsad over the past couple of months um, from me being away in America and uh, to some personal struggles that I've been having over the last few months. Um, And there actually was, because these things come in threes, we actually have had a changeover at Headstuff in our podcast platform. We have, uh, since since I started Fireside, used a hosting software called Audioboom, where we upload the podcast and then it is automatically uploaded to all the other channels like Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, but we have now swapped to a site called Megaphone. And in the changeover of that in the last few, in the last month, um, there has been a bit of uh, toing and froing and I was still uploading things to Audio Boom after Audio Boom had stopped 
hosting the the podcast so there was a couple of episodes that didn't come out when they should have uh, so last week or the week before uh, two episodes would have come out in the same day that were meant to be from the sub- previous two weeks um, so I do apologise for all the chopping and changing as we settle more into the summer we should get right back to the regular rhythm of every Wednesday every week for Fireside coming out because that is the structure I've built and that is the discipline I like and um, I know that a lot of people listen to like the the regular rhythm of it so that is just what has been going on rest assured the podcast is in no danger of slowing down um i have been i have been gigging an awful lot in and around dublin and uh, mostly playing irish music around town and also giving literary tours and it's been great since i got back from america it's been fairly full on and um and uh, consistent and it's great to go back in there because I haven't really spent any proper time in Dublin or around Ireland for any length of period since since really before COVID, uh, because I've fortunately been able to travel for work around the world so much, so it's lovely to be back and uh, and while I'm here to be working away. But it is tricky to uh, formulate the plan when you're working entirely at night and then trying to write during the day, whether it be the podcast or the book I'm finishing off. Um, so there's a lot of toing and froing and just trying to carve back out the regular rhythm and routine. I'm actually recording this episode from London. I'm over visiting two of my friends over here and just taking a few days to reconnect with them, but also to reset my rhythm and kind of head back to Ireland next week for the summer um, with my game face on and Fireside will be a very core part of that. But the story for this week is... So these uh, rave scale that we've been doing over the past few months, these pre-tales from the, to the cattle raid of Cooley of the Ulster cycle, this was the story that made me want to do that in the first place. This seems to be certainly probably one of the strongest and one of the most well-known of these lesser-known pre-tales to the Thorn. And this is known either as Thornbophilus or it is just colloquially known as the Mayo Thorn. And this was one I was going to save for later, but there actually have been some of these Ravescale that I haven't even been able to find any source for. The internet has been very lucky because a lot of these stories can't even be found in books or certainly not books that are still in print um, because I do where always possible like to get the physical texts. But I found some very good links uh, online, which I've been leaving in the show notes of every episode. But now came the time for the Mayothon. And we should hopefully, I should be able to find a couple more in the subsequent weeks uh, because I'm really enjoying spending more time in the, the Ulster cycle. And this one's no exception. This is a particularly special one because we have the benefits of these tales where we have where we get to meet some of the old characters that we know from, whether you've been listening to this podcast since the beginning or whether you just know this world of the Ulster cycle, the characters such as Queen Maeve and Fergus McCroke and Alec M- Alil McMata, but also get to meet these new characters who exist in this kind of Rogue One era of, uh, of Ulster mythology. These characters that exist very much in their own world, but maybe don't play a part in the grander epic of Anton. And so without further ado, I will get down to the story and we will chat more about it afterwards, of course. But this is Phyllis, I beg your pardon, this is Flithus and the Mayo Thorn on Fireside. Flithus and the Mayo Thorn. 
There once was a minor tribe of Era known as the Gawanra, who lived and ruled in the west of the island, in what we would now call County Mayo. The Gawanra were an ancient people, descended from the Fearbulk, the bagman who had ruled Era before the rival of the gods of the Tua de Danan. This made the proud Gawanra an older tribe than most. The majority of ruling Tuas were descended from the Gales, the mortal men who had overthrown the Tua de Danan. The Gawanra were, at the time of this tale, ruled by Alil the Fair, Alil Fionn, and his wife, Flidus. Flidus was a powerful and beautiful woman, and despite her love and loyalty to her husband, Flidus was said to possess a voracious sexual appetite. The main source of the power of Flidus and Olilfion was said to be the mighty Mwail, an enormous cow that could feed 300 people in a single milking. Cattle were wealth. Cattle were power. But the man that Flidus lusted after was Fergus MacRoke, the exiled king of Ulster, who had recently taken refuge in Crohan Fort in Connacht with the equally lustful Queen Maeve and her consort, Alil MacMatha. And the lust of Flidus for Fergus would lead to bloody massacre. Fergus was heroic and noble, which made him desirable to nearly all who heard of him, never mind those who could see him with their own two eyes. And when Queen Maeve first welcomed Fergus into her home, it was not long before she welcomed him into her bed. Maeve's husband, Alil, naturally became jealous of this nightly affair. Alil may have been king of Connacht, but he was not king of Queen Maeve. The only thing Alil could do to thwart Fergus was to symbolically take away his manhood. Fergus MacRoke's greatest source of power was an enchanted sword he would unfurl to put a definitive end to any conflict. While Fergus and Maeve ravaged each other in bed, Alil crept into Fergus's quarters and stole the Ulsterman's magic blade and replaced it with a wooden sword. But it was a poet who would truly instigate the bloodshed. Brickna was the olive of the west of Ireland, the highest of the poetic classes of the Phila. This gave him tremendous influence and power over those he encountered, because Gaelic society held by a thread. Everything was word of mouth. What did everyone else think of you? So, if a respected poet satirized you, no one else would fear you. And Brickner enjoyed wielding this power. It didn't sit right with the poet that Fergus MacRoke had abandoned Ulster. He called the exiled king a coward, a turncoat, and a blood traitor, and said as much to the former king's face. But Fergus had not taken his decision lightly. After abdicating his throne to Conquabar MacNassa, Fergus had served the new king loyally, 
until Conchobar's murder of the sons of Ishnok for the kidnapping of the king's future wife, Deirdre, later to be immortalized as Deirdre of the Sorrows. When he realized words would not hurt the exiled king, the poet Brickna decided to take action against Fergus MacRoke. The poet went to Mayo, to Rathmorgan, the ruling fort of Ulilfion and Flithus. He knew that Flithus harbored a lust for Fergus, so Brickna told Flithus of all of Fergus's heroic deeds, of his prowess in battle, of his handsome appearance. This drove Flithus wild with desire. Brickna did tell Flithus of her own husband Alilfion's equal nobility, but Flithus could not be reasoned with. She asked the poet to bring word to Fergus of her desires. So Brickna returned to Crohan Fort and told Fergus MacRoke of the desires of Flithus. He also told Queen Maeve of the magnitude of Rathmorgan. Truly I have never seen a larger or more magnificent structure than Rathmorgan, or a more beautiful woman than Flidus. Fergus MacRoke decided that Flidus would be the perfect match to his own sexual appetites, and vowed to liberate her from her husband. Queen Maeve became jealous of her new lover running off into the arms of another. Maeve's husband, Alil, was glad Fergus was leaving, and smiled to himself, knowing that his rival was marching off to war without his enchanted sword. And Alil MacMatha was right to smile. Fergus and his army marched on Rathmorgan, and at the gates called to King Olilfion, I have come for your wife, and war began. A thousand soldiers from each side fell that day, and Olilfion marched out to personally fight Fergus in single combat. Fergus was the superior warrior, but when he went to remove his enchanted sword to deal the final blow, Fergus discovered to his horror that the sword had been replaced with one made of wood, which was obliterated by Olilfion, and the exiled King Fergus MacRoke was defeated and taken prisoner of Mayo. When Queen Maeve heard of Fergus's capture, she mustered her own armies. I will not have a man in my protection, a proud hero and incredible lover in the fort and clutches of Mayo. Alil MacMatha knew there was no arguing with his wife. He was not keen for Fergus to return to Crohan, but this was a matter of honour. Connacht could not appear weaker than the Gowanra. In glorious armour and spirit, Queen Maeve personally led her armies to Mayo, and the siege of Rathmorgan began. Both sides suffered heavy losses, and Maeve watched in anguish as four foster sons and one daughter fell by Mayo swords. Maeve changed tactics. She held a meeting with the leaders of Olilfion's armies, and told them that if they defected and fought for her, Maeve would give them control of the Gowanra and the protection of Crohan. Queen Maeve was intimidating, commanding and convincing, and so every leader to a man abandoned Olilfion 
and change sides that very day. But despite the heavy losses, the remaining loyal forces of Alilfion could not be defeated. They knew Rathmorgan, they knew these lands, and they were defending their home. They fought with the greater purpose and held out. But inside Rathmorgan Fort, things were about to change. As Ulilfion went out to fight for his wife, his honour and his lands, Flidus went to visit Fergus MacRoke. Fergus had been displayed from the fort to mock and goad Queen Maeve, but Flidus still hungered for Fergus and released him. Then the two prospective lovers made their plan. When Ulilfion returned from battle that night, his wife Flidus filled him with drink until the king passed out unconscious. Flidus then sent word to Queen Maeve of the weakest parts of Rathmorgan and where to attack. The armies of Connacht broke through the fort walls and freed the imprisoned Fergus. The next morning a hungover and weakened Ulilfion rose to battle and the now crazed and angry Fergus MacRoke fought the king and after hacking and slashing his body, cut the head from Ulilfion's neck. With their king dead, the Gawanra were defeated and Rathmorgan was razed to the ground by the armies of Queen Maeve in vengeance of the loss of her four foster sons and daughter. Fergus impaled Alilfion's head on a spike and presented it to Flithus. But when the queen of the Gawanra looked into the unblinking dead eyes of her husband, the consequences of her actions flooded her brain. What have I done? she asked the silent king. Flithus demanded Fergus bring her the body of Alilfion, and when she saw the cut and mangled body, her remorse and devastation intensified. Fergus could see the regret in Flithus's eyes, but he had not come this far and suffered the loss of so many warriors to go home empty-handed. He was a king of Ulster, an exiled king, but still a king. He could not afford to be taken hostage by some petty tribe. You're coming home with me, he told Flithus, and we're taking your cow too. Fergus came upon the mighty Mwail cow, but having lost its master, the cow would not budge. Fergus tried calling, pushing, and even lashing the cow into submission, but the Mwail could not be moved. It was only Brickna, the poet who had emerged from the woodwork when the fighting was done, that coaxed the Mwail into moving. For the promise of an exceptional fee for the poet, of course. With Flidus and the Mwail in tow, Fergus and the armies of Queen Maeve left Rathmorgan in ruins and set off for Crohan Fort. But all chieftains have families. The late Alilfion's father, Donal Dulbuiha, Donal of the Yellow Locks was still alive and still a very powerful man. When he learned of his son's massacre, Donal vowed revenge. He intercepted Maeve and Fergus on their route home, but Donal Dulbuiha would not just use men, he would use another kind of warfare. 
Donal had a ferocious pack of wolfhounds. The Irish wolfhound has always been a legendary creature in Era. A far cry from the still massive wolfhounds we know today, the Irish wolfhounds of the Celtic times were said to be the size of lions, enormous and terrifying. And Donald's pack of loyal hounds began to tear the armies of Queen Maeve limb from limb. In the chaos, Fergus MacRoke found Donal and engaged him in single combat. Alil MacMata had returned Fergus's enchanted sword, and Donald Dolbuija fell by the hand of Fergus MacRoke. But Donal had a grandson, Alil Fionn's son, Muradach the Stutterer, who had arrived to aid his grandfather. While the wolfhounds continued to devour the Connacht men, Muradach liberated the Muel and Flidus and returned them to Mayo, to home and to victory. Flidus never married again and spent her life in the rebuilding and protection of her own tribe, the resilient Gawanra. Queen Maeve and Fergus MacRoke had to concede defeat. They returned to Crohan Fort, back into the arms of each other, much to the chagrin of Alil MacMatha. This was the Thornbow Flidus, the raid for the cattle of Flidus. It was bloody and it was terrible. But this is not a tragedy. And in this fireside bard's opinion, they all deserved each other. To be continued. Hello, my name is Dave Coffey and I am the host of Phoning It In, the hilarious improvised phone-in show. It's like Joe Duffy's Liveline, except we make it all up on the spot. That's right, I get a bunch of comedians into the studio and they have no idea what they're going to be talking about until I introduce them on the air. We have just recorded a 100th episode special featuring 15 of the best comedy performers in the country. Go and check that out, binge the other 99 and become a lifelong fan of Phoning It In with me, Dave Coffey, right here on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And that is the tale of Fledus and the male Thorn on Thorn Bo Fledus on Fireside, and I hope you all enjoyed it. This is, I will get this straight off the back, this is a really horny story. The characters in this story have very, very, as I say, voracious sexual appetites. That is a very strong part of any translation, no matter how old that you find of this story. Now, Irish mythology is quite horny in general, particularly the Ulster Cycle, anything that involves Queen Maeve or Cúchulainn. There's just a lot of blood and a lot of sex. But there's something about this one particularly that's almost like ancient Greek. This is, um, it, it's said that on Tombo Cúna, the cattle raid of Cooley is like the Irish Iliad. You know, it is our great epic. But... This this seems far more like the Trojan War, a much more microcosmic Trojan War, but almost in reverse, where rather than if Flidus is the Helen of Troy, rather than being taken away 
um, by Paris, she lures or asks for the company of Fergus McRoke to the castle, which Fergus is only too happy to accept, leaving his recently very jaded lover, Queen Maeve, to come and rescue him when he is kidnapped. But everyone, and even the imagery of, the imagery of Alil McMata, power, powerless to stop his wife, Queen Maeve, from sleeping with Fergus McRoke on a daily basis. The only thing he can do is to, like, symbolically take away Fergus's manhood, which is to steal his enchanted sword, even the enchanted sword. So the... The, the lust and the hunger in this story is worn very much on its sleeve. And it's like everyone is just thinking with their loins first. And you see this particularly illustrated within Flidus herself, who is the central character of and title character of this story, the character we meet in this and don't meet really again in any other tale. I've certainly never come across her in a way that has stuck out. We have her with her voracious sexual appetites and her desire for the handsome and heroic Fergus McRoke. But when he comes and they hatch this plan together to murder her husband, she drugs and drugs her husband by plying him with drink and then sends him out hungover and weakened the next day to be decapitated by Fergus. But when Fergus, admittedly with a bit of overkill, um, impales the dead king's head on a spike and presents it to Flidus. Flidus regrets it all. It's like she has this sobering moment where she realized that she had just been thinking just with her lust. And suddenly the conscience comes back in and she remembers that actually her husband wasn't such a bad dude and didn't possibly deserve to die in this horrendous fashion. And she is still then kidnapped by Fergus, who is still just thinking with his dick and taking her away and the cow. Of course, there has to be a cow in a cattle raid story. And I saw an interesting, as a side note, I saw an interesting note on this tale in that for a very superficial or um, supernatural cycle of tales and a very supernatural mythology, as you would assume with a name like mythology, uh, this is quite a literal, realistic tale. Um, there is very little magic in it. Every It is very standard warfare. No one is bewitched by any god or anything. But the only thing that was really supernatural and enchanted in it, aside from Fergus's sword, which could, again, just be more of a metaphor, is the whale, is the cow. This colossal, enormous cow that you can't even imagine the size of that can give milk for 300 people with a single milking well the person gave the counter argument that this is just a very classic case of like folklore and mythology and adaptation that the whale was very likely an entire herd of cows and you know an entire vast herd of cows that and then suddenly when you think like oh it might be 300 cows that can give milk for 300 people uh, or 200 cows, however it may be. Still a huge number, but suddenly when it seems like just a vast number, it seems a lot more literal. But of course, for our desires, what's more fun, the idea of 100 or 200 cows, or just one massive cow that can feed everything? A Very much a, like a bovine MacGuffin for these people to come and steal and claim, as well as this captured chieftain in Flithus. And... There are quite a few characters in it, so I hope this was clear. I tried to I tried to repeat who was who 
as much as possible to try and make it clear, mostly because there are two Alils in this tale, and both are jaded husbands as well. Both are chieftains, but not really chieftains in their own homes. We've had, so we've Alil Makmata of Connacht, Queen Maeve's consort, and then we have Alil Fionn, Alil the, um, the blonde in, um, it's Flithus's husband in Mayo. And on paper, depending on the version you, you read, I'll put a link to a couple of them in the description below. Uh, sometimes he is described as Alil, <coughs> beg your pardon, <coughs> beg your pardon, Alil spelled like O-I, L L I and O I L I L L as opposed to Alil, which is A I L I L L. Um, but some versions they are just spelled the same. So giving them their their surnames as well helped a little bit with clarity, I hope. Um, but you've obviously got Queen Maeve and Fergus, Flithus, the two Alils. You've got Brickna, the poet as well, who sows these seeds of descent. Apparently Brickna in some versions and in other tales is more of a fool, more of a jester who nobody respects. But here he is more of a mastermind in a higher position, but still a dastardly figure who doesn't really have anyone's good intentions. Has gone mad on the power of the poet, has gone mad on the power of satire that he wields because he is not a physically intimidating man. He does not, he does not fight single combat, he doesn't fight in war. He comes along with a clever word and a and a manipulative, manipulative saying in someone's ear. Although Flithus very much has agency of her own tale. You know, I mean, Brickna wants to sow the seeds of defeat, but it is Brick, or it is Flithus who insists that Brickna tell Fergus of her desires. I mean, uh, Brickna even tells Flithus, you know, your husband's pretty great as well. And she's like, I don't care until it is all too late. And it is interesting, yeah, the, this, this tale is not described as a tragedy because there is so much agency in it. Because no one was enchanted or bewitched, everyone was acting of their own accord. Everyone was screwing everyone else over, and it didn't matter how many people died. And so it really is a case of like them all deserving each other. But it's a it's a classic case. Like these characters don't need to be sympathetic. They don't need to be likable. They just need to be interesting. And you cannot say that any of these. I certainly don't think any of these characters are not interesting. And it's just it's pleasant to be in this world, this world of such visceral blood and sex. That is a story that is that is between fifteen hundred and two thousand years old. For it to still have that visceral resonance and to be that interesting to adapt and to write and I, and to read and I certainly hope to listen to um, is very exciting and is really, really cool. Um, and I hope you all agree because this was, um, again, with a lot of stuff that's been going on with me, there's like, this was a really exciting tale to adapt. This is, there's a real one that, that really brings me back and really makes me see like why I love doing this and, why I love telling this and why I love finding these tales because this isn't a tale I found until about six months ago because it exists in this sub-realm um, around this, in the orbit of the Cattle Raid of Cooley. Uh, but this this is one of those tales and I've enjoyed every one of them, every one of these rave scala, but this was the one that lured me back in and made me want to make a kind of sub-cycle out of all of them. Also, yeah, this this episode is coming about about uh, a little bit late as well as one of the side effects of uh, 
of um, singing so much. Like on Monday nights now, I do two gigs, one in Devitts on Camden Street and one in the Temple Bar. And so between the two of them, I'm singing for six hours a night. So my voice is taking a bit of getting used to, uh, which is frustrating because I'm losing it quite a bit, uh, which is frustrating when it is my entire livelihood and the things that I do. Um, so yesterday and the day before, I couldn't really speak at all. You can still, I'm sure, hear the hoarseness in my voice. But there was at least some resonance there today that I felt I could record the podcast. So glad to have done it now. Uh, but I will wrap things up now. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the tale. Let me know, as always, what you think. Next week, we're going to have another folktale, another Irish folktale um, from the Fairy and Folktales of Ireland. And um, the week after that, we will have another world tale from another story from various mythology. Um, I hope you enjoyed our tale of uh, Baba Yaga, the wild witch of, of uh, Slavic folklore, a couple of weeks ago. We'll see where we'll take it um, in two weeks from now. But again, all the usual ways you can support the podcast. Follow me on Instagram at firesidebard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Buy my book, Garden Sea, a neo-myth of home from headstuff.org or from uh, Amazon on Kindle. Support p- the podcast on headstuff.org plus at headstuffpodcast.com. I will see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. 